Uh, so this is the point in the service that we're going to open up the Bible together. And uh, last week we started a new series called Encounters with Jesus. And we looked at uh, Jesus at the home of Mary and Martha. And uh, we basically were wanting to look at a whole load of people who met with Jesus in the Bible and what happened to them after that meeting. So, uh, so in amongst, we looked at Mary and Martha, and in amongst that, we, we wanted to unpack, as well as being put to work as a church, it's so important that we get to know who Jesus is, that we get to know, uh, we get to spend time at his feet to listen to him. So we're going to be looking at John chapter 3 today, and we're going to be looking at Jesus and his uh, little meeting with Nicodemus. And we're going to be jumping about a bit throughout the book of John uh, today, and I want to look at uh, the journey that Nicodemus went on. So Nicodemus, and it makes me think of that, does anybody know anybody called Nico? Is Nico short for Nicodemus? That's the kind of things I think when I'm reading the Bible. And also, wouldn't that name be a nightmare at Starbucks? It would like wrap right all the way around the cup. Anyway, that's how my mind works. Uh, but when I was preparing this talk and looking at Jesus encounter, uh, Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus, there was one movie that kept coming back into my mind. And it was the movie Up. Has anybody seen the movie Up? Yes. If you haven't, go and see it. Now, the movie, the thing is, just now, the season that I'm in with two little kids, when we have a movie that they like to watch, it is the only thing that's on television for about three months. It's on constantly, and I learn every little bit of the movie. It's like ingrained into my brain. And it'll get to the stage that I'll be the one, the last person in the room watching it. So Mario, let's shout, oh, come on through. Like, we've got dinner ready. We're able. And the boys will go through, and it's me like, wait two minutes. I want to see what happens here. It's just, yeah, I get so engrossed into it. But anyway, up is the story of a guy called Carl Fredrickson. He's a 78-year-old man. He's a pretty grumpy old man who, when he was younger, he had a dream and his life hadn't quite went the way he expected it. But anyway, he is wanting to travel to a place called Paradise Falls and he's in his home equipped with balloons and it's the most amazing little scene. It's an animated film where the balloons kind of carry his house away and he inadvertently takes a young boy scout who was at the door. I think he was looking for some sponsorship or something, but this boy's at the porch and then he ends up up in the air with him and he goes on the adventure with him. But that encounter with the young boy in the movie is the beginning of a transformation in Carl's life. And uh, the film follows their journey. And I won't ruin the film, but basically we see Carl going on a, a journey of discovery, really. And the movie, uh, at the end of the movie, he ends, up, he ends up a very different man to how he begun the movie. And there's something similar here in this passage but there's no balloons attached to houses. There's no Boy Scouts. There's no 78-year-old men. But we see a real journey for Nicodemus where the accounts recorded in God's Word, there's three occasions where Nicodemus is mentioned. And we see a very different man at the end to how we first met him. And I'd love to unpack and ask us as we look at his journey, at what part of Nicodemus' story can we relate to this morning? And what does God want to do with us and speak into this morning? Does that sound good? Brilliant. So the background of this passage, it's taking place in Jerusalem, just after Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding. 
uh, which we will be looking at at our next service. Nicodemus is a religious leader. He is a Pharisee. He's a member of the powerful Jewish High Council. And the Pharisees often uh, were looked at as being hypocrites. They were not keen on Jesus. They challenged him at every point, his views and traditions. Jesus challenged their views and traditions, and they didn't like it one bit. And uh, Jesus would, they felt a little bit like they were being undermined, that their authority was being undermined. So there's three stages to Nicodemus's journey that are recorded in the Bible. Uh, and I, I really feel this is a, a word for God, from God, and we're going to la- it's going to land with some people this morning. Firstly, we see in John 3, the passage that we're about to read, we see him being in a, in a season where things are hidden, but he's hungry. And then secondly, we're going to look at where Nicodemus is vocal and visible. And then thirdly, we're going to look at when Nicodemus was radical and risking it all. So that's where we're going to be uh, going this morning. We're going to read John 3. And we're going to start at verse 1, and let's pray before we do that. The words will be hopefully up on the screen as well. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We never want to take for granted your word. It is a living word. We pray as we unpack it, as you unpack it, Lord, that you will reveal to us afresh what what are you wanting us to yeah what you want to speak to us about what's to change what's to stop are we to be reminded afresh of how good you are lord i pray that there will be fresh revelation of who you are lord that will shape us as we head out of this space this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's read from verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, I'm very conscious, I'm always at the front of the screen when people are wanting to see. What verse was I on? Jesus, where was I? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's leader, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. 
Amen. So I want to look at our first point, hidden but hungry. Have you ever had something that you want to keep hidden? I know that I have. I'll give you a couple of examples. Back in high school, I was a big fan, I can't believe I'm saying this, of Celine Dion. I've said it. Me and my friend in technical loved Celine Dion. I don't know why. It was around the time of Titanic, my heart will go on. I thought that was just a tune. So, and he said to me, we were in technical, I remember, yeah, I was sitting next to him, and he says, I've got her album. My mum's got her album. So he proceeded to bring the album. And I remember, I was like, we need to keep this on the lowdown, mate. We cannot let the rest of the class find that out. And in technical, he kind of passed the CD under, bag to bag. And I listened to it for ages in my headphone. Anyway, Celine Dion. Yes, I wanted to keep that hidden. When I was younger, I used to collect stamps as well. I used to collect stamps. And I just didn't want to let anybody else know, but there used to be a couple of lovely old ladies in our church that would get loads of stamps and pass them over in a little sandwich bag thing for me to church, and I'd have a book, and I'd fill them all out, and uh, I used to love it. But also, something that I wanted to keep hidden in my uh, days at high school was going to church. As a pastor's kid, that, you know, it's quite difficult to do. I used to get people singing to me, the only one who could ever see me was the son of a priest. And I was like, all right, okay. Every time I walked past in school, they would know. But I just wanted to keep hidden that I had this part of my life where I'd go to church and it just wasn't alive in me. You know, for Nicodemus, we read in verse 2, he came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus at night. I feel this is significant as there was an interest for Nicodemus. There was something about Jesus that intrigued Nicodemus, and he just had to go and meet him. We see in this passage, in verse 2, it says, Rabbi. That's the first words he says, Rabbi. And that suggests a real warmth from Nicodemus. Jesus had no official accreditation to warrant that kind of title, Rabbi. You see, had he went to visit during the day, the atmosphere would often be not a very nice one. It would often be quite antagonistic. It'd be quite a difficult atmosphere if it was during the day. But there was a hunger in Nicodemus to learn. There was a hunger in Nicodemus to meet with Jesus and speak to Jesus face to face. So he lined up a meeting at night. He lined it up under the cover of darkness so nobody would know, so nobody would hear, so nobody would be none the wiser. So he could wake up the next day and be part of the crowd of Pharisees who were looking to trip Jesus up or looking to attack Jesus, to bring Jesus down, to criticize his every decision. See, for Nicodemus, by doing that, by being hidden, nothing else would be affected. I wonder if any of us can resonate with that encounter, with that little description, that little line that some of us perhaps sitting here, we know there's something about Jesus. We know there's something about when we come and we worship and we sing songs of His goodness, when we open His Word, and there's moments where our hearts just go, that's for me. When we spend time with Him, when we're intrigued, we keep being drawn back. We know He is the Messiah. We know He is the hope of the world. But right now, we just can't face bringing our hunger for Him into the light. Maybe a few of us are believers who go at night, who keep it under wraps, who don't want others to know or even see 
that Jesus is part of our lives. But you see, something changed for Nicodemus. And I believe it was during Jesus' words in chapter 3. A commentator suggests that Nicodemus was rocked. That's the word that they use. That he was completely taken aback by Jesus' statement of being born again. Now, if you were to look deeper into this passage, there's a Greek word, and excuse my pronunciation, called anothen, which is translated as again. But it can also be interpreted as from above. So as well as being uh, translated as again, it's also got another translation as from above. And if it's translated as born again, it points towards the nature of the experience of entry into God's kingdom. That being that it's the same as a physical birth. You know, it's kind of demonstrating that picture of all things new. We are a new creation when we accept Jesus into our lives. But if it's translated as born from above, there's an emphasis of the origin of experience, that it's a supernatural experience when we are born from above. And Nicodemus thought that his salvation was assured based on his race and based on, his, on circumcision as well. Jesus says he needs to be born again. And after a bit of explanation from Jesus, Nicodemus saying, what, what you mean like I have to, the mother's womb, what, what's going on? There's an invitation that is brought before Nicodemus into relationship, to be in tune with God's Spirit. See, for Nicodemus, it was a, a step where he was declaring, who knows where I'm going to be led? For a man of rules and routines and traditions, this was a big step. Jesus was speaking into his heart. And then from that encounter, we see the next step of Nicodemus's journey. That being, he is now vocal and visible. It's been a while since I've started a new job. A few of us can maybe remember the feelings that you have when you start a new job. Uh, most of us will remember that. The nerves, the uncertainty. Who am I going to be working with? Is it all going to be okay? And I remember when I turned 16, my first job was in Safeway. Now, Safeway, for those of us that are too young, is, for, is now Morrison's. And I remember it clear as day. My mum got me the job because she was best friends with the head checkout supervisor. And she basically told me, you're going to be working in Safeway when you turn 16. But they had these disgusting slime green, lime green shirts you had to wear. And a few of us are nodding because we remember when we go into uh, Safeway, that's what you had to wear. But my first day, they didn't have any shirts. And I turned up in a white shirt and they said, you've got to wear a bow tie. Now, for a 16-year-old guy going to stack shelves. I looked like something from the circus. You know, was, who's this guy in the bow tie putting baked beans on the shelf? But it was absolutely mortifying. And I was like, Lord, please don't bring any of my friends into Safeway today. But eventually I got my shirt. Uh, but that was not my greatest moment as a 16-year-old. But the advice when you start a new job often, isn't it, is often keep your head down. Just keep your head down. Get a lay of the land. Don't ruffle any feathers. Do as you're told and get on with your work. But I remember as time went on, there was a few times where I had to speak up, where maybe I was being taken advantage of as a, a young guy in the workplace, where I was getting to do the jobs that nobody else wanted to do. You know, I had to collect all the cardboard and make it, you'd made it into a big cardboard box thing with all the cardboard. There was this machine, and it was just an absolute chore to do it. And I was being lumped with doing that every single time. Or maybe there was stuff going on that wasn't great with other people. 
You know when deep in your heart of hearts there's an injustice. We've maybe all ha- we've had all those, those moments, we've maybe had those moments where we walk into environments and we just, it just doesn't sit right with us. There's something stirring in us. The Holy Spirit is alerting us to an injustice. He's stirring in us. There's something that we need to say in that moment. And you know, when you step up in that moment, it puts you out there, doesn't it? You feel vulnerable. But ultimately, it's often down to doing what is right. And God's assurance comes in those moments. In chapter 7, if we move on a little bit into chapter 7, we see Nicodemus again. And Jesus is going to the festival of tabernacles. And there's Jewish leaders there, which Nicodemus is part of that group. And the Jewish leaders are wanting to kill him. And Jesus taught at this festival. And then tension, there was tension with these people debating whether he was the Messiah or not. And I just want to read a couple of verses in chapter 7, verse 45 to 52. Unfortunately, it isn't on the screen, but I'll read it out and you can get it on your Bibles or your apps on your phones as well. So uh, chapter 7, verse 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. They're speaking about Jesus here. You mean he has deceived you? Also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. This is really significant. So in this moment, Nicodemus speaks out in defense of Jesus. Something stirred in him. He felt an injustice and he found his voice. And ultimately, he was overruled by the majority, but he spoke up. He made a stand. He risked his position, his reputation for Jesus. And we see, actually, following on from Nicodemus speaking out, the Pharisees got a little bit suspicious, asking, are you from Galilee too? You can imagine the shock of Nicodemus' statement in that moment. So chapter 3 shows the encounter, that first meeting Nicodemus had with Jesus. And then in chapter 7, Nicodemus brings out his faith into the sphere of life that he is living in. And that is our mandate, that is our mission, if we believe and trust in Jesus. Not that we live a life of faith here from half ten or nine o'clock if we come in for a team till one o'clock till we leave or when we gather for a couple of hours in small groups, or when we have coffees from people at church, or from people in other churches, or from our family who know and love Jesus. But that we bring the fruit that we have from the relationship, the heart changes, and the love of God into our mission field. You know, I've been married 10 years next year to the wonderful Mary who's through at Vineyard Talks today. And she has changed me. Whether that's for the better or not, the jury is still out. I'm joking. But I've definitely got a better dress sense and a better hairstyle as well. She's definitely sorted me out there. 
But seriously, I am a unde I'm undeniably a better man because of her, because of what she's spoken to my life, how she builds me up, how she looks out for me, and how she draws out my gifts and sees the best. And I'm sure we can think of family and friends that do that for us as well. But more is to be said of our relationship with Jesus. When we are in relationship with him, when we have met him and accepted him into our hearts and asked him in, understanding that we are forgiven, that we say sorry, that he lives alive inside of us, we are to bring that journey and his presence into the life that we have purposely been placed in. So we bring him into our workplaces. We bring him into our homes. We bring him into the gym. We bring him into our schools, our unis, our hospitals, our coffee shops, our petrol stations. Not that we own petrol stations. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. To be visible, to be vocal, just as Nicodemus was. I got a, a book this week, which will, might be like any other book. I don't know about you guys, but I get excited when I see there's a new book and I end up with about eight by my bedside table and I read two chapters and I get excited by another one and I've started about 26 books and not finished any of them. But I got a new book this week called Scattered Servants. It's from a, a pastor called Alan Scott. He used to be the vineyard leader at, Co at Causeway Coast in Coleraine in Northern Ireland and he's now over at Anaheim a vineyard in America. And he's written this book called Scattered Servants. And I got onto the second page, which is good, that's progress, but it wrecked me. It wrecked me. Just to read a couple of lines, it says, the dream of God over your life is not that you become a believer and help out the local church. The dream of God over your life is that you come alive in his presence and bring life to every environment spilling contagious hope into hurting humanity. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that our mandate? Isn't that our mission if we know and love Jesus? You know, our dream as Inverness Vineyard Church is bigger than a church being full. It's bigger than this hall being full and saying we need a bigger hall. Oh my goodness, this is amazing. That's good, but that's not our dream. That's part, that's part of our, our, our dream, but it's for people to be sent out full for the week ahead. It's not that this space is full, it's that people that come along here sent, are sent out full to give out into our weeks, into the people that we meet, that people can encounter Jesus and share in his story and share their story. And then we see Nicodemus for the third and final time in John 19. So we've seen him in John 3, John 7, and in John 19 we see him for the third and final time. A bit of context on uh, John 19. Jesus is sentenced to be crucified. We're just at that point where he dies a gruesome death on the cross and he's to be buried. So I want to look at John 19 and verse 38 to 42. And it says this. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 35 kilograms. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. 
This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So finally, we see Nicodemus radical and risking it all. That's our, our final point this morning. When it comes to uh, any kind of sport, I like to see myself as a, as a jack of all trades and master of none. I can pretty much pick up and play to an okay level, most stuff. I'm not great at any, everything, but I can throw a table tennis, I can play badminton, I can get my sweat on and go, that was a good time uh, doing that. But uh, I remember there was the odd occasion where I step up and I think, oh man, that was okay, I'd done all right there, and exceeded my own expectations. And the one memory which sits high above every, everything else, I was 11 years old, it was primary seven, and it was the Highland Games, it was the school Highland Games. Now, I was quite a quiet boy at that age, and I'd been chosen to do the 200 meters, not because I wanted to do the 200 meters, but because there was no one else to do it. So uh, I ended up taking this race, and I, ha I remember at the park, my mum and dad were watching me, and I was at the park, I was lining up alongside all these other guys, and they were bad-mouthing me, we were ready to go, and they were like, you're not going to win this, Urquhart, you're going down, Tam, they used to call me Tam, and don't, don't ever call me Tam, but they were, we're all lining up, and we're about to race, and it just something rised up in me. I was like, oh, I need to do well here. I need to do well there. They're obviously, going to, they're obviously better than me or they think they're better than me. But I, I just thought, I'm just going to keep my head down and run. I'm just going to run to the end. So ready, on your march, ready, set, go. And I ran the race of my life. Now, I was quite tall there at 11 years old, so you can imagine me running. I was just all arms and legs that's how my mom and dad described it as they watched me. But I ended up winning the race. I ended up winning the race, and uh, no one had expected it, not even me. And I would call that moment a stepping out of the shadows moment for me. It was a moment where no one else thought it was possible, and I had the gold medal around my neck. I wore it for about three days under my school jumper just to remind people that I'd won the race. So out of nowhere, I'd won. And this passage in chapter 19 is a bit of a stepping out of the shadows moment for Nicodemus, a stepping up. This was unexpected in every sense of the word. We have Jesus, the precious Son of God, dying on a cross, taking all of our sin on himself. And we see the disciples, the disciples being Jesus' crew, his closest buddies, his followers, his family, can get nowhere near to bury him. They can't get anywhere near. And step forth the most unexpected of duos who step up. Now, I don't know who you call in an emergency. You know, uh, if, you, you, if you have a job, you fill out emergency contacts, or your kids at school, you fill out emergency contacts. But these guys would not have been on Jesus' emergency contact list if anything was to go wrong. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, members of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, rocked up. It's an absolute curveball. And we see in verse 39 in this passage, it says, He was accompanied by Nicodemus, and it's very striking, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. 
They wanted to mention very intentionally, this man visited Jesus at night at the very beginning, and now here he is in the light. So from visiting in the darkness, from no one else wanting to see or wanting to be associated to Jesus, he's now saying, I'm here. Everyone can see. Jesus, I love you. I'm here for you. And I don't care what the repercussions are for that. He was well respected. He had everything to lose. We see in chapter 3, visited at night so no one could see. There was a wholehearted follow at all costs feel to Nicodemus's decision. And this could be a word for some of us this morning, perhaps. Perhaps this morning is the morning where we step out of the shadows. Perhaps this morning is a defining moment in our walk with Jesus, that we've had a season in the hidden. Perhaps we've had a season where we felt our voice rising. We felt in moments and situations that God's placed us in, where we've seen injustices, something's rising, but we haven't quite been able to voice it. That actually, God's saying it's time to be vocal, it's time to be visible, it's time to be radical, it's time to risk it. It's time for surrender, to live fully for Him. So He was not afraid to be seen, He was not afraid to be heard, He was not afraid to step out. You know, the enemy loves nothing more than us to be secret believers, to keep it under wraps. Because not only do we miss out, but our worlds miss out, the people that we are meeting and encountering and spending time and we do life with, they miss out. Perhaps for some of us, Nicodemus' story is leading us into a new faith chapter that is going to lead people, other people, into relationship with Jesus. It's going to see our streets changed, our offices changed, our staff rooms changed, where we can love fiercely, where we can bring hope and life and encouragement. I want to ask us as we leave here this afternoon, who has God put in our paths to provide encouragement to, to speak life to, to be generous to? You know, at 12 p.m., when I say amen, 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 and we have tea and coffee and we stick around for a wee while and we have a chat and we leave this building, that's when we're sent out. We are being sent out in that moment. So I want to ask us, how are we leaving this building this morning? I read a really great quote from a, a man called Arthur John Gossip, who was a free church minister in the 1890s. I love a good quote. I don't know about you. I love a good quote. And I'm just going to close on this quote. This is what he says. You will not stroll into Christ-likeness with your hands in your pockets, shoving the door open with a careless shoulder. This is no hobby for one's leisure moments, taken up at intervals when we have nothing much to do and put down and forgotten when our life grows full and interesting. And here's, here's the, the best bit. It takes all one's strength and all one's heart, and all one's mind, and all one's soul, given freely and recklessly, and without restraint. You know, when we come here to worship and to read the Bible, we come here because we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be more like Him. It's my prayer that we give our all without restraint in the week ahead, and see what God has planned for us. Let's stand.